This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Now it's time for our regular sports show, Game of Two Halves, every Monday at 5.15pm, where we host the sports podcasters from The Straits Times. I'm Rachel Kelly, and with me are sports correspondents David Lee and Sazali Abdulaziz. Now let's kick off the show by discussing the postponement of this year's AFF Suzuki Cup. And the football tournament featuring ASEAN teams was supposed to be held from November 23rd to December 31st, but will now be staged next year instead because of COVID-19 concerns. David and Sazali, why have the ASEAN Football Federation decided to postpone Suzuki Cup? What were some of the considerations and do you think they made the right decision? David, maybe you can share with us first. Right, so back in June, the AFF was still hoping they could hold a Suzuki Cup as originally scheduled, as Mm. you mentioned. But obviously, with the coronavirus pandemic still ongoing, there are travel restrictions and quarantine orders in place in many countries. So it would have been near impossible to organize a multi-country tournament like this. The current format also means uh, countries play home and away from the group stage to the final. It means that each team would have had to travel once every few days. And that, of course, carries significant health risks. This was also a big reason why the ASEAN Basketball League has been suspended indefinitely from March. I think much like how the Olympics and the European Championships were postponed from this year to 2021, the AFF made the right decision to postpone the Suzuki Cup until a time when it's safer to travel. You know, sense has prevailed and, and that the organisers have put health concerns as the top priority. They've mentioned the AFF in June said they hope to schedule the tournament as planned. And, and even at the time, I felt they should have already taken the call to, to cancel, given how so many international sports events uh, had already been ex with the situation across Southeast Asia uh, not under control yet, the COVID-19 situation. You know, the obvious reason for not wanting to, to cancel so early is uh, the fact that the Suzuki Cup is highly lucrative and uh, even more so with the home and away format introduced in 2018 where average attendances for games are, are, are much higher than if you had one or two host cities. So yeah, I mean, even though it's a little bit late for me, uh, I absolutely think it's the right decision. What do you think the AFF can learn from other leagues that have successfully resumed and completed the season? Well, obviously, with a strict set of regulations, I think European leagues have shown that, that uh, competition can be held successfully. But I think each country or each region is unique in their own way, and what works in Europe may not necessarily work in this part of the world for various reasons. You know, unless the virus dies down or a vaccine is in place, I don't think we can run away from mass testing, then that begs the question, who will cover the cost? You see, if each test costs about $250 to carry out and you need to test about 40 people per team per game, that's already 10,000 for just one round of tests per team. And then there are other officials and key personnel involved as well. And you will need the keen cooperation of everyone involved, not to breach quarantine rules or orders to stay confined within their respective hotels. And then, like Sas mentioned, what is a tournament without fans? The, the major European leagues were all held behind closed doors, but uh, we know that the Vietnamese leagues allowed fans in. The last edition of the Suzuki Cup with the new format, it, it was a hit. It attracted, mm. I think, 750,000 fans uh, to stadiums across Southeast Asia. So will the organisers and sponsors still want a tournament without fans? So these are all the considerations as they plan for the upcoming tournament. Fans are, are, you know, I think a, a particularly big thing, uh, you know, for, for the Suzuki Cup. David and I have had the privilege of covering the Suzuki Cup a number of times, uh, including uh, overseas in other ASEAN countries. And we've seen firsthand how manic uh, and fervent the support in some nations can be. 
So you know, let's say Singapore plays uh, Indonesia at, at the Gelora Bung Karno Stadium or, or Malaysia in in at the Bukit Jalil Stadium. There's definitely going to be over eighty thousand people, no question. So how would you manage that? You know, no amount of you know safety protocols or, or quarantines or, or you know safety measures in place uh, would be effective. There have been suggestions that perhaps stadiums, uh, you know, it, it, suggestions for football. Uh, in general, that that you know, stadiums can admit maybe half or, or one third the capacity of fans into stadiums. Um, although, to my knowledge, no league has adopted this yet. So, you know, I'm not sure if this is something that we might see in 2021 in some leagues or or, or tournament. The world comes to terms with with having COVID-19, uh, you know, as something that's always going to be there. Football-wise, what would the postponement mean for teams and uh, our Lions in particular? Um, you know, I think it's a, a huge weight off the minds of players. Uh, typically, in a Suzuki Cup year, uh, national team players or, or, or those who are on the fringe of, of making uh, the 23-man squad, you know, they, you, you tend to see them try to lift their game and, and impress the national selectors uh, so they, they make the cut for the, the year-end tournament. You know, but with this year obviously being um, so extraordinary, they don't even have the chance to play regular domestic football. Having said that, I'm sure some of players who are perhaps in their thirties, hoping for last one last hurrah at the Suzuki Cup with the national team, would have had the tournament at the back of their minds throughout this pandemic, even if they're sitting at home during circuit breaker period. So you know, I think the year-long postponement would be something that's very welcome to them. And I think for all players in ASEAN in general, I think it's it's also great for them physically. You know, it's obviously already August now. Some leagues have not resume players need time to get into top gear if they are only two or three months into playing regularly again that's akin to just coming out of pre-season they won't be in peak condition and in a worst case scenario we could see some unwanted injuries happen in terms of injuries we know that Harris and Iksan are working their way back from injuries so the extra time will be a good thing for them to to come back stronger I was really looking forward to see how the Lions would fare in a tournament under Tatsuma Yoshida, who has done well to get a team to attack with more freedom and purpose in previous World Cup qualifiers. But I agree with what the Japanese coach said, you know, that the postponement allows the players more time to prepare for the competition. Some leagues like Vietnam have resumed, while others like Malaysia and Thailand have committed to a restart date in, in September. The Singapore Premier League is still uncertain, which means the Lions will be at a disadvantage if the Suzuki Cup is held this November as they either may not have played for a long time or would have played too many games over a short time, neither of which is a good thing. Now, if you like the Straits Times game of two halves, you can listen live on Money FM 89.3 from 5.15pm every Monday, or you can subscribe to hashtag Game of Two Halves on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify and like us and give us a rating. Now, back to the second half of our conversation with our ST Sports podcasters and let's move on to English football. Now, Arsenal won their 14th FA Cup title when they came from behind to beat Chelsea 2-1 at Wembley on Sunday. Do you think it was a well-deserved win for the Gunners, David? Yeah, just about. You know, the, the way Chelsea started, I, I thought they were going to walk all over Arsenal. But like Frank Lampard said, I think they got complacent and gave Arsenal a way back into the game. And then the, the more you, you watch the game, the more you felt that Arsenal were going to win it. And it's especially frustrating for a Manchester United fan, you know, <laughs> because United lost to Chelsea mm. uh, in the semi-finals. And, and you think that if Chelsea had played like this in the semi-final, definitely it would be United in the final. But this was a game between two teams who can't really defend. 
And with a striker like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang leading the lines for Arsenal, any slip-ups will be punished and in the end, it proved true. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think it was an intriguing cup final in a sense. These are two very imperfect teams. They have, you know, they have um, very noticeable and obvious flaws in them. For, for me, you know, he, even heading to the game, you know, I, I, I had my eye on Chelsea. It's been a long season for this young, uh, inexperienced Chelsea team, especially given the, the transfer transfer ban that the club faced. And to me, it wasn't surprising at all. They ended their Premier League season in, in really patchy form. They lost three of their last seven games, including against West Ham and Sheffield United, which, which were surprised defeats. So, you know, heading to the game, I, I wondered if they had that mental steel needed for one big final push uh, mm-hmm. in a cup final. I guess, you know, the answer is they didn't. So what are some of the turning points or subplots from the FA Cup final? We talk about playing too much games in a short period of time in the first half of this show and I think you can see the effects in this game, you know, with Chelsea's uh, Aspilicueta and Pulisic stretched off with hamstring injuries. You know, Sass talk about one big final push and I think they tried, they tried, but you know, it just proved too much the stress of playing so many games in, in such a short time. I thought Pulisic looked so strong in the opening goal for Chelsea and he's a top attacker coming to his own, so he's... Injury was definitely a big downer just after the break with the score still at 1-1. Then there was the red card for Kovacic for a second yellow after a challenge on Granite Xhaka. I didn't think that was contact that was extremely harsh. Because it was a yellow card offence, it couldn't be reviewed by VAR which I thought was bizarre. Because it was a second yellow card which led to a red card and a sending off. So I thought it should have been reviewed. For me, apart from everything that happened, obviously during the game and and uh, on the field of play, you know, one of the the best moments, one of the most touching moments, was seeing how emotional the Arsenal goalkeeper uh, Emi Martinez became at the end of the game. It's a really incredible story and, and journey that he's been through. He's been with the club for ten years. He's been sent away on loan to six different clubs. Never really got a look in or given an opportunity. Always thought to be you know not good enough. And he was only on the pitch given that there was a serious injury to number one goalkeeper Burn Leno, you know, who, who got injured in the Premier League a few weeks back. So, you know, to persevere that long, plugging away, waiting for that opportunity to arrive, which, you know, at, at times did not seem forthcoming, and to play a, a big role in, in, in the cup final and, and to actually win is, you know, you, you, Hans Dixon mm. Anderson wouldn't have been able to write such a wonderful story. So, you know, after the game, he was close to tears. He could not put into words what the win meant to him and his family. And he was also seen FaceTiming his family uh, on, on his phone, you know, on the Wembley pitch in a quiet moment away from the main celebration. So to me, that was really poignant and, you know, wonderful. To see. Now, you know, I want to get both of your thoughts about up-and-coming managers like Frank Lampard, who's really leading from the dugouts of the team that he used to star for. Yeah, I think it's it's great that, you know, club stalwarts or heroes, they come back to manage their former clubs. And you see that with uh, Solskjaer too at, at Manchester United. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, all of them achieved something this season with United and Chelsea qualifying for the Champions League and Arsenal winning the FA Cup. You know, perhaps as club legends, they get a bit more time than other managers. Mm-hmm. But uh, ultimately, they still have to deliver. You know, it, it didn't quite work out for, for Green Soners at Liverpool. And we have already seen this season, you know, Eddie Howe, who have done such a great job uh, getting Burnmouth uh, promoted from the Championship, you know, up from the lower leagues to the Premier League. After five seasons, you know, they are relegated and, and they've parted ways. You know, Eddie Howe has been at the club since he was a player 25 years ago. You know, but it's good to see United, Chelsea and Arsenal going somewhere with their former players. But at the end of the day, it's a result-oriented game and if you don't deliver, it's game over for you. Yeah, so that said, David, how do you think Arsenal and Chelsea will fare next season? I see both Arsenal and Chelsea challenging for a place in the top four, but nothing more. Chelsea should 
finished higher than Arsenal, you know, with some solid acquisitions like Pulisic. Uh, they also brought in Hakim Ziyech, Timo Werner. But like Arsenal, their main problem is in defence. And until they fix that department, they're still likely to finish behind at least Liverpool, who are very settled at the back. As I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I, I think this was uh, a cup final between two teams that are very imperfect. They have their flaws uh, and they are, you know, very much in uh, building phase with, you know, their, their managers both, you know, having about a year or less than a year at their helm. So, as David mentioned, Chelsea has shown they mean business. They are also reportedly in the market for a new goalkeeper. So, so the defensive problems hopefully might be fixed. Uh, Arsenal, I think, agree with David. I think they need much more quality everywhere across the pitch, uh, from the back to, through to the midfield. Although I think their biggest priority must be to get Obama Young to sign a new contract. You know, his, his contract expires uh, in June 2021. Uh, and, you know, for me, he's to this Arsenal team what Thierry Henry was to the Gunners team of, of the mid 2000s. Uh, and, you know, after Thierry Henry left for Barcelona in 2007, Arsenal didn't win a single trophy for seven long years. I think it's imperative they tie Obama Young to a new contract. So, Arteta can build a team around him and, and take the club forward. Well, there goes the final whistle on our sports discussion of the week. Always great to have you with us, Azali and David. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.